A few weeks ago, I had a dream. I had a dream that I was in Toronto, and I was supposed to be speaking at a church where I've spoken before, and someone taps me on the shoulder and says, you actually need to go to one of our other locations to speak. So in the dream, I'm walking along the sidewalk toward a subway station, and I look up at you know, the, the map of where the stations are, and I realize I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. And I don't have a ticket, I don't have any money, I'm not gonna get to the location. And then I feel this anxiety as I realize I'm just gonna disappoint a bunch of people by not showing up. I've shared with some of you before that I've had dreams of being about to speak somewhere, but I have no idea just before what I'm supposed to say. Or this dream doesn't happen as as often these days because it's been a long time since I've been out of school, but I have had dreams where I am a student again facing an exam in math usually or French that I am totally unprepared for. And I feel this sense of just dread. Part of what these dreams are telling me on a subconscious level is that I have a fear of not being enough, of being deficient in some way. And the Bible and social science have a word for this, shame. The fear of not being enough, shame. And we can feel shame when we don't perform as well at work as we had expected or if we're out of work. We can feel like we're not quite enough if as a student we didn't do as well on an assignment or a test as we expected to do. We can feel shame over our financial situation if it's bad. But even if our financial situation is good, we can feel like we're not quite enough if we compare it to someone who seems to have it better than we do. We can feel shame over our bodies. In fact, we can choose our clothing based on how it will cover the part of our body that we're least proud of. My wife pointed to a shirt in our closet and she said, you should wear this shirt, you haven't worn it for a long time. And I said, but it has vertical stripes that makes me look skinny. (laughs) We can feel shame when our body doesn't do what we're expecting it to do. Early on in our marriage, my wife and I experienced a pregnancy complication that led to some years of infertility. As parents, when we lose our temper with our kids, we can feel like we're not quite enough. And shame can cause us either to shrink back and go small, or try and go big in order to prove that we're enough, in order to prove that we are worthy. Barack Obama, in his memoir, wondered out loud as to his motivations for running for president. He asked himself, was I trying to win the approval of my father, to prove myself worthy of a father who had abandoned me. 
he asked himself, or was I trying to live up to my mother's starry-eyed expectations for her only son? Or was I trying to resolve any self-doubt that remained from being born a child of mixed race? Barack's wife, Michelle, said that Barack would sometimes work himself to the point of utter exhaustion because it was like he was trying to fill a hole inside himself. And some people who have become very, quote, successful have been driven to achieve out of a fear of being, quote, just ordinary. And shame can cause us to shrink back and go small or to try and go big in order to prove that we are enough, that we are worthy. Thomas Merton, the spiritual master, said that we human beings feel invisible. And so we wrap ourselves with bandages to make us feel visible. We wrap ourselves in bandages of achievements or bandages of material possessions to feel visible or bandages of pleasure or bandages of building a reputation so that we will be seen by others as special. But Merton also says that if we wrap ourselves with these bandages to feel visible, to feel worthy, and define our value by what we do, what we have, and by how others view us. We are living from a false self. And he points out that the way to live from our truest self, to be who we really are, as creatures made in God's image is by deeply experiencing, not just knowing in our head about, but deeply experiencing the love of God. And over these next several weeks, we're going to be exploring how we can experience, not just knowing our head about, but experience the love of God so that we can live with the lightness of being that comes from being freer of shame, and living into who we were created to be, our made in the image of God's self. We'll be following the themes of a book that I've recently written called Now I Become Myself, How Deep Grace Heals Our Shame and Restores Our True Self. And if you don't have a copy, I'm glad to sign a copy for you afterwards in the uh, entranceway in the, in the Upper East Hall. If you're watching online, of course, you can pick up a copy if it's easier online at your favorite online retailer. The Apostle Paul, in Ephesians 3, writes these important words, inspired by God, and are now part of Scripture. He writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he that is God may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Living God, we pray that you would do what only you can do. 
We pray that in your generosity and in your grace, you would show us how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us. And in the experience of that love, may you set us free from the things that weigh us down, the shadow of shame, and enable us to reflect more of your light and more of your lightness and more of your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. So this prayer was penned first to a church in Ephesus back in the first century. So the original recipients were people who were part of a faith community. So apparently they consider themselves followers of Jesus. And yet Paul writes for them and for us that he prays that through the work of the Holy Spirit, that Christ would come to dwell in their hearts by faith. He probably means that Christ would come to dwell even more fully in their hearts by faith. And then he prays for these people and for us, people who have some kind of connection to God, that they would experience even more deeply the love of God in their lives as he prays, that they would come to know just how wide and how long and how high and how deep is God's love for them, especially expressed in his son, Jesus. And in these coming weeks, as I've mentioned, we're gonna be exploring how we can live as those who are really loved by God. It sounds really simple, but it's harder than we imagine to actually experience and to really believe. I know a chaplain at a Christian college who is asked the question from time to time, what is the most difficult challenge that your students face? I would have expected the chaplain to say, organic chemistry or advanced calculus or something along those lines or relationship issues. But the chaplain, again, he's at a Christian school, says the biggest challenge our students face by far is to believe, to really believe that God loves them. And whether we're aware of it or not, it may be that our biggest challenge is to really believe that God actually does love us. And we're gonna be exploring that, that path, as I've said, today and in the coming, coming weeks. In the very beginning, human beings did not experience shame. In Genesis 2.25, we read that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were naked, but they felt no shame. And that phrase, naked, and they're feeling no shame, naked and without shame, refers not just to a physical nakedness, but to the fact that Adam and Eve were psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually open and transparent with each other. But then the one who didn't feel like he was quite enough, the devil, approaches them and whispers in their ears, if you will only turn from God and eat from the one tree God has forbidden you to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be so much more. You'll be fulfilled. You'll be free. You'll be like God. And the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve turn away from God and they 
literally and figuratively bite. And what happens to them? Do they become so much more? Do they become fulfilled and free, a better, more joyful version of themselves? No. They immediately sense something has been taken from them. And they feel an emotion that they've never known before, shame. And they cover themselves with fig leaves and they hide in the bushes. And when we turn away from the source of all love, beauty, and joy, we don't become more, we become less. And it says we turn back to the source of all love, beauty, and joy, that we live freer of shame. We live with a greater lightness of being and joy. And we find ourselves becoming our truest self, meaning our made in the image of God self. When the indigenous elder Robert Joseph was just six years of age, he was forced to enter into a residential school where as a young boy, he was beaten, he was abused, he was struck so violently in the head that he actually lost his hearing. Years later, like many of his peers who went through similar sufferings and abuse, Robert Joseph turned to alcohol for comfort, for a sense of being covered. But then one day, Robert Joseph had an epiphany. He had a vision of all of creation, of the entire universe. And he heard the voice of his creator say, I love you. I love you. Despite all you have done, I love you. And Robert Joseph, through that experience of God's love, began to experience a freeing from his feelings of shame. And he went on to become a great leader among his people, a chief, and one of the outstanding leaders of the truth and reconciliation movement here in Canada. And when we experience deeply the love of God, whether it's through a vision or through another person or through some kind of spiritual practice, we are changed. It will alter the way we move through the world and our destiny. Robert Joseph experienced abuse, went through trauma, and did not feel like he was enough. But you don't need to go through abuse and trauma to feel like you're not enough. You don't need to go through those things to feel shame. Michelle Obama in her uh, uh, memoir said, I have become by certain measures a person of power, but there are still moments when I feel insecure and unheard. After many great accomplishments, even Michelle Obama said, I have become, by certain measures, a person of power, but I can still feel insecure and unheard. 
especially when, maybe when my phone goes off at the wrong time. And it's possible to be a person of real accomplishment and yet wonder, am I enough? Have I done enough? Some people feel a sense of lack and like Robert Joseph, turn to alcohol or, or perhaps drugs or pornography or, or sexual encounters or pleasures of some other kind to give them a sense of being filled up, to give them a sense of comfort and being more than they are. Other people may be quite accomplished or respectable and like Michelle Obama still wonder, oh, have I done enough? Am I enough? And perhaps this person turns to more achievement, more accomplishment in the hopes of feeling visible and real and covered and enough. In the famous parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15, we see that both sons are pursuing these paths. Now, the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15, as you may know, is sometimes described as the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. But as we look at this story closely, we see that it's not really a parable of just one lost son, but two. The younger son is lost in a more obvious way, but the elder son, based on the context, is just as lost, arguably even more lost. We'll look at the younger son in a moment. Let's take a look at the older brother first. To use Thomas Merton's image, the older son, like us all, in some way feels invisible. And so the older son in Jesus' parable wraps himself in bandages of being a dutiful son, a good son, a good child, as one who keeps the rules. In fact, he says to his father in the parable, I have been working so hard for you, I've never disobeyed you. The elder son also tries to create bandages as he wraps himself in the cloths of building a reputation where he is seen as a respected, good member of his community. But the elder son is spiritually lost because he is doing all the right things for the wrong reason. And it's possible to do the right things, to keep the rules, if we're a student to seek to get good grades or if we're working to, to seek success there or in some other sphere of our lives and yet be spiritually lost because we're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And scripture tells us that when we do what seems to be the right thing but from the wrong motive, it compromises that act before God. We can also be doing the right things and be spiritually lost because we're hoping that somehow by doing this or becoming that, that we will finally feel like we are worthy, that we are real, that we are enough. And as Michelle Obama discovered, some of us have discovered, even if we've accomplished quite a bit, we can still wonder, have I done enough? Am I enough? 
And so the elder son is lost and it's showing because he is keeping all the rules, doing all the right things, but for the wrong reasons. And like the younger son, we can also be lost because in contrast, the younger son is breaking all the rules and trying to make his life feel real and alive through all kinds of pleasures and experiences. In the parable, the younger son approaches his father and one day asks him, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance now. And in that culture, in this ancient Near Eastern world, that would have been equivalent to the younger son saying, Dad, I'd be much better off if you were dead, if you would just drop dead right now. So it was a very shaming request that the son was making to his father. Amazingly, the father agrees, and in order to give his younger son his share of the inheritance, the father will have to sell off a portion of the family property that has likely been passed down across the generations from the ancestors to them. And so selling off that land to give his son his share of the inheritance would have been another shameful thing for the father to do. The younger son gets his money. He goes off to the Vegas of his world and blows his money on prostitutes, on alcohol, and on drugs. But he will find himself on a path that will lead to utter emptiness and misery. We know this because we read that he runs out of money, so he can't purchase pleasures anymore. But we also know from brain science that when you pursue pleasure for pleasure's sake, what happens? At first it seems to work because dopamine explodes in our brain and we feel more alive and we feel happier. But then with that chemical explosion in our brain, the brain says, hey, something foreign has entered in. We need to reestablish balance. And so the brain neutralizes those pleasure feelings, making it impossible to get those first feelings back. And if we keep going back to that pleasure, looking for another hit and another hit, those pleasures become fainter and fainter, and we find that we need more and more of what is giving less and less, and we find ourselves empty and miserable. And so the younger son is really lost because he's not only run out of money, but he finds himself empty existentially, emotionally, spiritually, and empty financially. And he's hungry. He's hungry. And he ends up getting the only job that he can be hired for, and that is to feed pigs for someone, which, having come from a Jewish world, that would have been the lowest of the lowest jobs he could have had. It would be like one of us becoming a drug dealer, but for almost no money. And the parable tells us that he was so hungry that he longed to fill his belly with the scraps that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. One day the younger son comes to his senses and he realizes, how many of my father's hired hands 
have more than enough food to eat, and here I am starving. Here's what I'll do. I will return home and I will say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And so shamed, he begins to make his way home on foot, a long trek home. And we read in the parable that one day the father sees his younger son It's just a small figure on the horizon. Apparently, the father every day has been walking out to the edge of his property, wondering if his boy, if his boy will come home. He's longing for that. And when he sees his boy as a small silhouette on the horizon, the father's heart begins to beat faster as he says, yes, that's my son. It begins to thump against his chest and the father sprints out to go meet his son. And in order to do that, he would have to lift up the hem of his clothing so his legs, his bare legs would show in front of the other villagers, which would have been an awfully shaming thing. He reaches his son and he embraces his son. And his son begins to give his prepared speech, Father, I am not worthy, but the father won't hear that. The father embraces the son, weeps over him, And then shouts to his servant saying, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and the best ring and put it on his finger. And let's hold a feast in his honor. And as the foremost scholar of the parables in the world contends, explains, in this world, the father would have then taken off his own robe and put it on his son, taken off his own ring and put it on his son's finger. In embracing his disgraced son in front of the other villagers, the father was allowing himself to be shamed, to be lowered in the eyes of others. By taking off his own robe, he was not only covering his son literally, but he was honoring him loving him, and healing him of his shame. And this is exactly what God, who was represented in the parable as the Father, has done for you. God became a human being in Jesus Christ, and he removed his robe, his clothes, and hung naked and shamed on a cross so that he could absorb not only our sins, but also our shame, so that we could be covered by his grace and kindness so that we could be honored, so that we could be loved, and so that we could be healed of our shame. And whether we relate more to the older son as one who has kept the rules and sought to be very, very good, or the younger son, the father says what he said to his sons to us. Everything I have, as he said to the older son, belongs to you. All that I have is yours. And he says to the younger son, take my robe and cover yourself with it. Take my ring. I host a banquet in your honor. And as you allow yourself to be covered by God's grace, showered in his love, 
you can make the journey home to your truest, freest, made in the image of God's self. You can become the masterpiece you were created to be and fulfill all that God wants to bring to the world through you. Let's pray together. It can be challenging to actually and to really believe that we're loved by God. And so in this space of prayer, I want you to imagine that this parable that Jesus offered years ago is for you because it is for you. And I want you to imagine that a perfect father who represents God is running toward you. And this father who is utterly loving and incredibly generous reaches you and embraces you, covers you with his robe, puts a ring on your finger, and then speaks words of affection and blessing and love over you. And now I want you to imagine that that perfect father calls you by name and as he did for Jesus after his baptism, says of you, calls you by name and then says of you, you are my beloved son in you I am well pleased. Or you are my beloved daughter and then insert your name. In you, I am well pleased. If you're not sure that you even are a child of God, you can, in this moment, if you'd like, say, I give all of myself to you. Make me yours, and God will. Again, you can imagine God saying, you, calls you by name, you, your name, are my beloved son or beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. You, you're called by name, are my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased. I invite you to continue to pray this prayer for the coming weeks. And as you do, may you not just know in your head that you are cherished, but may you begin to experience more of just how wide and how long and how high and how deep is God's love for you in Christ Jesus. And as that happens, may you become who you were created to be. You're made in the image of God's self. May it be so. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.